life happens for you, not to you. So, you know, as a, when we're playing football, right, and, and in the offseason, we'd get our schedule for the upcoming year. Okay, as soon as we got the schedule, I could start to see, okay, who are the good defenses? Who do I, who do I have to get ready for? And with that approach, I, I knew that if we're playing the Patriots or we're playing the Steelers, that I have to, like, step up. I got to bring my A game or it's not going to be pretty. And those moments are what made me great. And I think the way we handle adversity is the definition of, of the success in life. Because if we can't handle adversity, it will ruin and destroy all the wonderful things in our life. And so with that, with the proper attitude, you know, we have access to all the resources we need to handle what life brings us. And that proper attitude is recognizing that everything that shows up in our life is showing to help us grow, to help us become who we were meant to be. Welcome in to another episode of The Professional Profiles Podcast that uncovers the time-tested wisdom for the next generation. Join me, a forward-thinking team, as I engage in insightful conversations with industry titans, revealing the invaluable ingredients that pave the way to achieving remarkable success. Today, I'm so lucky to welcome former NFL running back and Heisman Trophy winner, the legendary Ricky Williams, to the Profiles podcast. Ricky's remarkable career not only showcased his exceptional talent on the football field, but also highlighted his unique journey both within and beyond the game. Drafted fifth overall to the New Orleans Saints, Ricky spent 11 years in the NFL while leading the league in rushing in 2002, earning him first-team All-Pro honors and a Pro Bowl selection. From his standout college years at the University of Texas to making waves in the NFL, Ricky's story is one of resilience, self-discovery, and a passion for breaking barriers. Tune in as we delve into the life and experiences of this iconic athlete, gaining insights into his journey and lessons learned along the way. Here are a few things that we touch on. Wisdom from his time in the NFL, navigating life after the Heisman Trophy, valuable advice to his former self, exploring life post-NFL, the pivotal role of cannabis in Ricky's life, and life as an entrepreneur. I really want to thank Ricky Williams for this incredible interview. I really think and really hope that you enjoy. Please note that towards the end of the interview, there is kind of a squeakiness of a chair, but don't let this prevent you from listening to such an incredible interview full of such amazing advice. Thank you and enjoy. Ricky, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So just to start out, I'd love to talk about your career path. Could you walk us through the stages in your career and the steps that have helped you grow into the role you're in today? When you say career, um, (laughs) how are you defining career? Because I think as a young person, you know, you think you have to have a career. But for someone (laughs) who's actually been older and had a career... And obviously, once you go through an experience, you have a you have a different take on it. And so I think the way at least the way I understood career as a young person was what am I going to do when I grow up? You know, and a lot of times it was was in the context of how are you going to make a living? You know, and I think that's that's a very American thing. I remember traveling in Europe and I noticed that um, the waiter or the server at the coffee shop we're at was like, love their job in a way that I didn't see in America. And I was curious and I started talking to them about it. And it was, I got the sense of they were more uh, not living to work, but working to live. And that kind of what they did was didn't define them, 
you know, it was something that they enjoyed and that they, it allowed them to make a living. And it got me thinking differently because again, growing up in America, I was just only thought about what am I going to do when I grow up and how am I going to make a living? And I started thinking about my education. And when I say education, most obviously talking about school, the classes I took, the things that interested me, what I learned, because you know, as a career, if we're going to give back to our community, uh, typically we, what we're giving back is through some kind of skill. And so thinking of my education and my training of, you know, what would I like to learn to do? Um, what could I see myself doing that actually makes a difference? For me, that's the number one thing with career is doing something, utilizing my, my time and my energy and my resources to actually make an impact or make a difference. And the first career was as a professional football player. And that was from my more childish perspective of I just have to make a living. And being a football player allows you at least monetarily to make a pretty good living. Okay, so I went that direction. But I got to a point in my career where I realized I don't want to be an entertainer, but what I'm what I'm doing is busting my butt and destroying my body, making a good living, but doing it for other people's entertainment. And I, I got to the place where it just didn't feel very good. And so I made what people would call a career shift is I walked away from being a professional football player and started to pursue a different career. But I realized all of my training and all of my education had been channeled towards being a football player that I kind of needed to start over. Um, I had resources, I had money in the bank, so I had a bit of a head start, but I got the opportunity to say, okay, what, what do I feel like I'm good at that actually will make a difference in people's lives? Um, and I, I thought in my life, what were the most meaningful experiences? And they were all some version of me talking to someone else, showing them a different perspective, helping them feel better. You know, and so I thought, ah, there's people in the world that do that for a living. And so I started to, to guide my skill development and my training to the necessary skills I needed to be able to take advantage of an aptitude or a joy um, that I had developed that would allow me to make a living for myself in a more meaningful way. Uh, and so I started learning all I could about how to help people. Um, and that's, that's what's led me to, to what I'm doing now as a career. So how has your definition of success shifted over time and through your different stages in your career? I guess early in my career, all I really thought about was success. And now I don't really even think about it so much. You know, I think of success as being happy, right? If you're, if whatever you're doing is leading to happiness, you can, you feel good with the people you're around, you feel good waking up in the morning, you feel good doing whatever you do, then you're successful. Um, and so I think I moved from success as being something that's described from outer an outer experience or an outer event to something that's actually an internal experience because I've had external success, but I was miserable inside. And I figured, and I found that when I'm internally content and happy, that external success, you know, it takes care of itself. So after leaving the NFL and having your identity so closely associated with football through your college career and through your NFL career, um, how did you transition into a different career sector or a different industry? And what was that shift like? Well, um, it was slow. It was gradual. You know, <clears throat> I think anytime you're 
trying to turn something or shift something, right? What you have to deal with is the momentum of the direction it has been going. And like you said, the first half of my life, I was pretty much completely defined as a football player. And I remember the moment before I decided to retire, it's like my whole life flashed in front of me and I realized that, wow, pretty much all the meaningful experiences in my life have somehow been tied to my identity as a football player. Um, And it was, there's a mourning process where I was like, that was great. Now, (laughs) now I'm ready for something different. Um, And so it it was a long process. I'm not going to say it was easy, but I will say I enjoyed the process. And I think mainly because I didn't try to rush it. No. Um, it, it was easy for me to sit with the idea that that what, what what I was leaving behind was more of a childhood dream and what I was stepping into was more of an adult version of myself. Um, and I was and just before I had turned 30. And I think you know, 30 is that age where you really feel like we're, we have to grow up now. Um, and I think my growing up experience was just more drastic because um, I had been going so hard into playing a, a a game you know and again like the game for adults is entertainment and as an adult i felt like there's something there's something more i should be offering my community than just entertaining them for a few hours on sundays so mental health in sports has gained a lot more attention recently how do you think the conversation around mental health has evolved since your playing days well there wasn't a conversation really in my playing days um, and the conversation was basically, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> and that was the end of the conversation. Um, you know, but I think because people have advocated for their mental health and athletes have said this is important. And I think society in general is supporting that sentiment that sports leagues have had to evolve. Um, and I can understand where they've come from. You know, mental health really wasn't a thing, especially for, for men and you know, as it does become a thing for men, you know, one of the last places it's going to reach is something like football, which is hyper-masculine, but it's, it's come. And now I think for pretty much any team, you know, there are some coaches that are old school that might, you know, might say something to you, but for the most part, it's, it's safe as a professional athlete to, to get help. You know, you're not going to be shamed. You're going to find support. You're going to find really good support. Um, and I, I think that's huge. I think it's important. I think it's a missing piece of the puzzle. You know, what people are finding is a lot of athletes have gone into sports to avoid dealing with their mental health. You know, and we tend to think of the athletes as being courageous, but really facing you know what we've all been through and our mental health is probably one of the most courageous things a person can do. So how has early fame in your life affected your mental health? Finding such success early in in college at UT and then transitioning that into the NFL and having such success early, how does that affect or how did that affect your mental state? I'll answer that question, but I'll make a statement first. It's like everything we do affects us, everything, you know, and and we all have choices to make and and we all have meaningful choices to make. And so I think part of the conversation about mental health, yeah, I think it's it, coming from a football player, it's kind of like we have to be tough enough to deal with what life gives us. And the issue becomes when we are engaging in things that are not really for us. 
you know, meaning we try to find meaning, we try to find inspiration, but we can't. And I think that's where mental health becomes an, becomes an issue. And for me, that's just a matter of trying to be someone whom we're not. You know, I feel like in, um, when I was in school and learning about biology, you know, learning about the egg, right, the, the bird eggs, and that inside the egg is everything the little chick needs in order to survive until they're strong enough to, br- to break free of the egg. I think if we're truly being ourselves, you know, I think we have all of the internal toughness and grit and support to be able to manage things. But when we're trying to be someone else, we don't have the resources to be someone else. And so I think part of the mental health issue is more guiding us towards towards a direction. And and so I think fame, right? I think we get we get caught up in fame and we we lose sight of what the value of fame is. But the tr- the truth is fame gives someone a platform. And if you have something to actually do with that platform, fame is a wonderful thing. And I think for me, the, the issue with fame and mental health was I bought into some false idea that just because I could run a football that I deserved to be famous. But the, the true to me, the true deserving of fame is that you actually have something of value to share with the platform you have. And so any kind of mental health issues I had with fame was just from my ignorance and misconception about what it's all for. And when I made it all about me, I was miserable when I realized that fame is a platform and I can use it for something different, then it became the greatest boon to my mental health because I felt like I was actually doing something with my life. And I'll say early fame, it just presses the issue. You know, there's the saying with power comes more responsibility. And I think we, we tend to romanticize fame as something that's for young people. And I think all fame can do for a young person is just potentially accelerate the the growth process or the destruction process, it just speeds things up. But I, I truly think that fame should be earned. And I think that you should have something that, you, that you're willing and able to do with the platform that it gives you. So if you could go back and give advice to your younger self, maybe right, right after you won the Heisman, what would you, what would you tell yourself? I'll tell myself to take a gap year. Hmm. You know, I think that, I think the, the biggest advice to a young person is like, slow down, you know, slow down. <laughs> right. That life is coming, right? It's coming. No matter what you do, it's coming. Slow down. You don't have to be in a hurry. And in realizing, you know, I was in a very advantageous place where I had enough resources to pretty much do whatever I wanted. I had enough cu- curiosity to, to, to have the desire to want to explore. I just didn't give myself permission until several years later when I did retire and started to travel. So I would have told myself, I said, the NFL's not going anywhere. You know, you got a lot of talent and you're young. Go see the world while you can. Yeah. And I, I do think that this idea of slowing down is is not really heard of in the world we live in today, especially with students coming out of high school. They're, they're told to speed up their careers and maybe just not athletes but just regular students they're like trying to build their resume and do all these things and cram as much as they can into their time but this is not the best way of doing about things and not setting them up for success down the line exactly and i think the nature of the youth is we tend to exploit them you know it's changing you know i think if you look at college sports now college athletes can be paid and if they don't like a a situation they can get in the transfer portal and find a better situation um, I think that's that's wonderful. I think 
you know, we need to empower young people because the more experiences you have when you're young, the more wisdom you're going to have when you're older. You know, and I, I think, <laughs> and I think young people should have more freedom in choosing in choosing those experiences. Right? When I say slow down, part of it is with young people is stop trying to get everything right. You know, you're too young to have enough experience to have any idea of what is right and what is wrong. It's really about just give you just have experiences. If something calls to you, go have your own experience of it so you know for yourself. And that's how you acquire wisdom. And with that wisdom, questions about career become kind of obvious. You know, when you find what you're good at and what what you love to do, then it's easy to start thinking of, okay, how can I get paid to do this? But if you're trying to chase someone else's idea of what it means to be an adult or who you should be, you know, that's a wild goose chase that, you know, people could be on for their whole lives. So you kind of mentioned or implied kind of the importance of making mistakes when you're young. Could you touch on maybe a story or an anecdote in which you made a, made a mistake when you're younger or even in, in the present present day and how that is an important characteristic to one's growth? Yeah. You know, but even the concept of making a mistake, that, that comes from an, an older perspective. When an old person, not a wise old person, but when an old person sees a young person do something, they say that's a mistake. But it's hard to call it a mistake if the young person didn't know until they had the experience. So I wouldn't even say it's it's about the importance of making mistakes. I think it's about the importance of having experiences. Who cares about the mistakes? You know, the only way to become wise is to make mistakes. And the only way to make mistakes is to put yourself out there. So when we focus on the mistakes, I think it scares people away. I think it's more of, of experience, you know, like in football, you know. The reason we practice is so that we can make the mistake so that we're ready for the game. And so in life, it's kind of the same way, especially when you're young, you know, going into college, leaving college, right? Have as many experiences as you possibly can. And as you do that, you're going to realize some experiences ah, you love and, and are meaningful to you and some are not. And so it's not like you keep having experiences over and over again. It's by putting yourself out there, you get the clarity of what works for you and what doesn't. Because a lot of times, you know, if you do something you're not meant to do, you're going to keep making mistakes. And if you make it about the mistake, you keep trying to get something right that you shouldn't be trying to get right. And so, you know, I don't want to focus on mistakes. I want to focus on just get out there and, and live, have experiences, do things. It's like the only way you're truly going to know something, right? It's good to, to listen to people and get advice, but the only way you're truly going to know it inside your own being is if you do it. Right. I think that's such strong advice. And before we transition into your, your work now as an entrepreneur, I love to just focus in on mindfulness and spirituality. Mm-hmm. So your journey has involved a strong emphasis on mindfulness and spirituality. How has this influenced your perspective on life and success? I mean, it's, it's 100% of, of the way I, I view things. So, you know, it's, it's mindfulness and spirituality. But nowadays, we can, we can even bring in psychology. Because the word psychology, psyche means soul. Ology is the study of. And so the study of the soul, it's an easy jump from the study of the soul to mindfulness. Because mindfulness, we're, we're trying to use our skills of observation to observe our own internal state. 
And I think when people say psyche or soul, what they're really talking about is our own internal state. You know, and, and, you know, the way a lot of people talk about it is that we live in two different worlds. You know, we live in the physical world where we have to pay attention to what's in front of us or we might get hit by a car. Okay. But we also have an internal world where we need to pay attention so that we can take care of our mental health. You know, and the idea is how do we live in both worlds? You know, sometimes we overemphasize our mental health and we don't do anything because nothing feels good to us. Okay. I call that depression. And sometimes we overemphasize our the external world and we're doing all right in the eyes of other people, but internally, you know, we don't we don't feel so great. So I think the the move towards mindfulness and spirituality is really to me more about balancing the ability to live in both worlds at the same time. And because so much focus is placed in the external world, right? Then we we say the shift is we have to become more mindful of what's going on on the, on the inside. And I was guilty of that. All my energy went into being the best football player, right? being tough, and I completely ignored how it felt to me, okay? Until I couldn't ignore it anymore. And I was forced to pay attention. I was forced to become more mindful. And as, he, as I became more mindful of what was going on on the inside, I was led to what people call spiritual practices, which really are just ways to to pay better and to be more mindful and to take better care of yourself and realizing that there, you know, people call the, the small voice inside or people say listening to your heart where there is some knowledge or wisdom that comes from the inside that can actually assist us in dealing with the external circumstances. And I think for me, that's where I found the ideal integration of both parts of myself. And so I, I feel like part of my mission in life is to, help other people integrate their inner and their outer lives so that they can be more fulfilled because true spirituality should be seen by the people around you. I mean, even the Bible says faith is in deeds, it's in works, you know? And if someone is truly listening to their heart and expressing what their heart tells them in the world, typically they're going to be doing something that makes the world a better place. Could you dive into the spiritual practices that have helped you the most throughout your, your journey? Mm-hmm. Uh, first and foremost is meditation. Yeah? And so um, yeah, people, people try to make meditation complicated, but anyone who's focused their attention so much on one thing, you know, whether it's a TV show or a sport or playing an instrument that, every, that they forgot about everything else, okay? That's meditation, right? But the meditation mindfulness that we apply in, in spiritual practice is the thing we focus on is, inside is some internal cue that allows us to be more aware of what's actually going on inside. So my, my favorite example of the actual practical benefit of meditation. Okay? So after I started meditating, it was about a month in, I finally got to the point where my mind was more or less quiet. And when I say more or less, is usually when we, we close our eyes and meditate, it's just all of the thoughts, right? Racing, racing, racing. But as you start to sit and slow down, then it's just kind of one thought at a time. So you can kind of see the thoughts, you know? And I started to realize the way that my mind worked. It was like, whoa, I can't believe I think like this. You know? And it was like, wow, no wonder my life sucks in this area because of the kind of thoughts that I have about it. And so being able to see my thoughts, you know, later in the day when I wasn't meditating and I was in a certain situation, I could recognize those 
dumb thoughts, those not useful thoughts. I could recognize those thoughts coming and I could not not follow and, and down the track of where they were trying to take me and I can move a different direction. And so mindfulness allowed me to take more control of my inner state, which allowed me more control of my life. And so instead of you know thinking someone is attacking me or someone is going after me, I realize it's just my tendency to think that I'm being attacked. It's not actually happening in real life. And you know, what happens when we start to take ownership for our own internal world, we start to realize that the people around us like us more because we're not putting our stuff on them so much. And we can actually have a real interaction between people. Because, you know, when we live so much in the outside world, the side effect is all the inner stuff. It just piles up, you know, and it comes out anyway, just in ways that don't feel very good to us. And a lot of times the way it comes out, it actually gets in the way of our success in the outer world. And so it's another, and for me, you know, an example of when I was with Miami, I'll say the one one regret, and I don't do regret, but the one regret I have in my NFL career is that I didn't finish my career as a, as a Miami Dolphin. And my last year was with the Baltimore Ravens. And the reason was I was frustrated with my coach and my tendency is to like let things build up until I can't, until I can't like keep it in anymore. And then it comes out as opposed to when I notice something bothers me to, to deal with it, to nip it in the bud. So I let my resentment towards my coach build up and I had a radio show where I said something that my coach got pissed about and he didn't want to resign me. Whereas if I would have just gone and talked to him, you know, a pattern of mine, if I would have been aware of it and, and dealt with it differently, I could have ended my career with the, with the dolphins. And so mindfulness is in spirituality in this sense, practical spirituality is being aware of, of, of the things of our habits and which habits are useful and which habits are not. And the ones that aren't useful doing something about them. And uh, to me that that's practical spirituality, because when we're, our habits are getting in the way of, of us being happy, then we're not very spiritual people. But when we're happy, we're always thinking more positive thoughts and we're always doing things to help other people feel better. And I think that's the ultimate expression of spirituality. So this is kind of similar to a question I had before, but I I'd want to ask it because I do think it's super important, not just in sports, but for everyone. And you mentioned that football is hyper-masculine and the idea and topic of mental health doesn't really seem to be discussed as much as it should be. So how can we, or how can the NFL, or how can society encourage more conversations about mental health because it's so important and often neglected? Honestly, I think if we start changing the way we talk about mental health. And so an example, so most especially retired football players that I'm friends with and that I talk to, it comes up organically in pretty much every conversation, their relationship with their therapist. So, you know, when, when we think of the, the stigma and that mental health means you're weak, okay, it's actually not true. And the proof is that the proof is that now it's going to be hard to find a professional athlete who doesn't have a therapist or doesn't have someone they can talk to because everything in the football in the football world, everything in the football world is about efficiency and and winning. And so 
everything, right? Even beyond the stigmas. And so once a football coach or a football team or a football program realizes that the players play better when they have someone to talk to, then it becomes part of the deal. So I think making the connection, not between someone is sick and they need to be better, but that for performance reasons, in order to to be the best you, whether that's as a parent, as a football player, as a student or whatever, is you have to attend to your mental health. So it's not so much about fixing someone, it's more about performance enhancement. Is that is that if you know who you are and you're happier on the inside, that whatever product you put out into the world, whatever you do, whatever you be, is going to be improved. It's going to be better because of it. And so I think talking about mental health in, in this way, it, it inspires people to deal with their mental health because they know they're going to get more out of themselves. For sure. So I'd love to shift to life after the NFL for you. So what was the rationale behind starting Heisman? What do you all do differently over there? Well, because cannabis has been so highly regulated and so illegal in this country for so long, it's really an interesting idea to have a cannabis brand. Because most of the people who have any experience with cannabis were considered criminals. And so, and so even though it's legal, the legacy of cannabis is still as... It's still attached to a stigma and there's no real messaging behind it, you know, and I'll compare it to alcohol because alcohol has been around. It was illegal. Okay. And then it became legal and the messaging around alcohol, if you look at any ads really is about relaxing, having a good time, you know, recreation. And obviously there's, there's uses of cannabis that, that mimic, that mimic that recreation. Um, but also what we found is cannabis has, has deeper significances, you know, whether it's physical well-being, whether it's mental health, whether it's a, spir- it's a spiritual or religious sacrament, it's been used many different ways. And so I think part of, for me, launching a brand is really allowing uh, cannabis to express its different, its other dimensions, its other sides. And so with Heisman, you know, we don't talk much about the recreational side because people are already doing that. But we align it with my story. It's, I thought I was only a football player. I started to consume cannabis and I started to, to think outside of the box and realize that I had much more to offer the world. And, and it was very benefit, beneficial for me for my mindfulness and my spiritual path. And as I've shared my experience with many people, I've realized that a lot of other people have similar experiences, but no one is talking about them. And so, you know, as far as being a, a cannabis brand in the cannabis industry, I mean, of, of course, you know, <laughs> cannabis is becoming a commodity, but of course we have quality product, but it's really more about what are you doing when you're consuming cannabis? And I think that that's an important question for the future of, of cannabis because it has the ability to unlock people's creativity. It has the ability to help people uh, become more mindful of their inner state but it needs people telling these kinds of stories. So to answer your question, what do we do different? Um, we're an actual brand that has authenticity and a, a meaningful, compelling story behind it that will facilitate the future of cannabis. So could you share what role cannabis has had in your life and continues to have? I know it could be a subject that you don't want to touch. So let me know if you don't want to go there. No, 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 I, I don't. Listen, <laughs> 
I don't mind talking about anything because right, what's the point of me hiding how I really feel? You know, it doesn't really serve doesn't really serve anyone. Okay. So there's there's two main roles. One is a symbolic role, you know, and the, and I think it's probably the most powerful role that it's played. You know, growing up I was told by my peers that this is something that is bad. Right. And as a kid, we don't know, right? We just listen to whatever the adults say. And the adults said it was bad. And so discovered i said it was bad but i started to have my own experiences i started to have my own experiences that showed me that it, at the very least it wasn't as bad as people were telling me at the most this is something that actually is beneficial and improves the quality of my life okay? and the story I, I tell to to bring this to bring this to the surface i was playing for the texas longhorns and it was my senior year i came back from my senior season uh, to try to win the Heisman Trophy and help the team win. Uh, first couple of games, we get beat up. I'm beat up. My body hurts. And I'm starting to think, why the hell did I come back? I should have gone to the NFL. This is horrible. Good friend of mine, my my roommate, says, hey, he was a smoker. He's like, here, pass his bong. You know, I'm not supposed to do this. You know, I might get drug tested. He said, shut up. Okay? And so I hit the bong. I went upstairs and I stopped worrying about what was going to go wrong. And I started thinking about what could go right. You know, something about about whatever was in that bong, whatever we did, it 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 lifted this heavy kind of feeling I had and and created a little bit of light. And so I started to imagine myself doing better. I started to imagine things getting better. The next two weeks, I, I rushed for back to back 300 yard games. I think the only time it's ever been done in the history of the NCAA. And it got me back on track. And so I had a moment to say, OK, you know. Life was getting too much. I needed some help, okay? And a plant was able to help me, okay? And, you know, if you if you study any kind of indigenous cultures, you know, they're talking about that all the time. But in our culture, I, even saying it now, I feel like that's weird, okay? That's weird. So, you know, I kind of kept that in the back of my mind. And in the future, when things were going rough, you know, I'd consume a little bit and it opened my mind. It helped me see a different perspective. And so, again... In uh, the way that I'm speaking, it might sound weird in indigenous cultures. It doesn't sound so weird, but, you know, they talk about plant allies, you know, that there are so many healing plants. Some of the plants heal our bones. Some of them heal our blood. Some of them heal our emotions. Some of them heal our spirit. So for me and my experience is it's a tool. You know, and cannabis has been a tool um, to help to help me keep my mind open, you know, and not get stuck not get stuck in a rut. So your story has been an incredible journey of redefining what's important to you. What would the advice that you would share with the young person be about finding what they're passionate about and finding what's important to them? Yeah, I think if I would have found it earlier, I wouldn't have had to redefine. And the redefine, it's like a cool story, but it's, it's kind of not very efficient. You know, it's like if you get it right the first time. Um, it's what I said earlier. It's it's experience, you know, and it's listen to your heart and it's find find adults, older people that get you, that see you. You know, I think people underestimate the importance of the other people in our life because other people in our life always serve as a reflection or a mirror. So even if we feel forced to be around people that don't see us or don't appreciate us, that's not a good that's not a good look. You know, and so sometimes we have to work harder than others to find people that see us and appreciate us. 
but it's the most important it's the most important thing we can do because if we have an accurate mirror or something that reflects back to us a, a reflection of us that feels good to us okay ah right that's one of the greatest boons we can greatest boons we can have and then if something really is compelling to you don't find excuses not to do it <laughs> find ways to have the experience you know and it might take a while it might take some time more energy more effort and more support but it's worth it you know it's worth it so reflecting on your life and career how do you define the legacy that you want to leave and what advice do you have for others who aspire to make a meaningful impact hmm so I think the greatest impact we can make is by being ourselves. You know, it's like, if I'll, I'll use a little astrology talk just, just for a moment, okay? So I'm a Gemini, all right? And, and we've already kind of touched on Gemini themes. Geminis, you know, are all about information in, information out. So healthy Geminis read a lot, right? And they, they can share multiple perspectives, very open-minded. Okay. And so my legacy is I want to make an impact on people. So I, I gave a speech the other night, last week at the Heisman Trophy ceremony. They do a dinner on the Sunday after the announcement. And it was my 25th year anniversary. And so I, they gave me a couple of minutes to speak, you know, at first I was like, well, speak for what? You know, I was like, all I had to do, <laughs> all I had to do was stay alive and show up, you know? So I was like, I won the Heisman Trophy 25 years ago, but I said, you know, it's an opportunity to speak. And so, you know, I tried to say something meaningful that made people think. And after I was done speaking, you know, I got a like standing ovation and even the guys on the dais got up and they were like, wow, that was a wonderful speech. You know, ah, okay. That's Gemini at its best. And so my legacy is that I made people think if at the end of my life, right, People just say, oh, you know, Ricky made me think differently than I did before. Uh, I feel like I've done my job. So as we come to the end of our conversation, I have a couple more questions that I try to keep consistent across interviews. Uh, the first one being the billboard question. So if you're given the opportunity to place a phrase, quote, or idea on a billboard in front of millions of eyes, what would you choose to put on it and why would you choose that? I would choose life happens for you, not to you. Can you dive into that? Yeah, yeah. So you know, as a as when we're playing football, right? And and in the off season, we'd get our schedule for the upcoming year. Okay, as soon as we got the schedule, I could start to see. Okay, who are the good defenses? Oh, right. <laughs> who do I have to get ready for? You know. And with that approach, I I knew that if we're playing the Patriots or we're playing the Steelers, that I have to like. Step up. I got to bring my A game or it's not going to be pretty. You know? And those moments are what made me great. And I think the way we handle adversity is the definition of, of the success in life. Because if we can't handle diversity, it will ruin and destroy all the wonderful things in our life. And so with that, with the proper attitude, you know, we have access to all the resources we need to handle what life brings us. And that proper attitude is recognizing that everything that shows up in our life is showing to help us grow, to help us become who we were meant to be. I love that advice. That's, that's great. So if you were given 10 minutes notice to give a TED talk, what are you choosing to talk about and why are you choosing to talk about it? Um, I'll talk about the planets, talk about the planets from an astrological perspective. 
um, because it's something I know a lot about and it's something that is meaningful to everyone because especially with information available now, if you know your birth time, you know, you can see where the planets were when you were born. Um, and I think it's just a fascinating, um, it's a, it's a fascinating framework to understand the, the human psyche. So what final message would you like to leave with my audience? <laughs> is that life is what you make it. You know, life is what you make it. Meaning if you want, if you want your life to be more exciting, then do more exciting things. <laughs> I love that, man. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing what you have in store for the future. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you.